Hi, welcome to Life Distilled. I'm Jane. This episode, I'm looking into poet Percy Shelley. Percy Shelley is probably the most well-known of the Romantic era poets besides Lord Byron. His life itself has taken on a narrative quality over the years that one might find in an epic poem from the time. That's nothing to say of the actual works, many of which are easily recognized even by people who don't consider themselves readers of poetry. Percy Bysshe Shelley was born on August 4, 1792, and grew up close to his siblings. However, once he entered school, Shelley's life took a bit of a downturn. He was bullied intensely and had few role models. But before going to college at Oxford, he'd already published two works, one of which was a collection of poetry. Despite being at Oxford for less than a year, he managed to publish three more works, one a novel, the other a political pamphlet, and the third another poetry collection that he'd composed with a close school friend. The pamphlet caused problems for him because of its inflammatory title, Necessity for Atheism, and his disobedience of his father. Shelley was essentially disowned, leading to financial issues throughout his life. This was compounded not long after by his decision to elope to Scotland with his first wife, Harriet. They traveled around Ireland to distribute political pamphlets, Shelley wrote, and later to Wales and back to London, where he began work on his long poem, Queen Mab. In London, he met Mary Godwin, the daughter of one of Shelley's idols. Of course, he fell in love with her. And in a poor life decision, the two eloped in 1814, only three years after he had done the same thing with Harriet. While they were abroad, they met fellow poet Lord Byron, and he and Shelley struck up a friendship. At Lake Geneva, where they stayed, he wrote two poems that are considered some of his best, Hymn to Intellectual Beauty and Mont Blanc. The Shelleys briefly returned to England to tragic news. Harriet had committed suicide. But partway through custody hearings for Shelley and Harriet's children, he and Mary left England permanently. They settled in Italy, where he began writing more poetry and fewer political pamphlets. During a period after the death of both his children with Mary, he wrote what most believe is his greatest work, Prometheus Unbound, as well as several odes. After the death of John Keats, from what he wrongly assumed was related to the harsh reviews of Keats's poem Endymion, Shelley wrote an elegy titled Adonais. Tragically, less than a year later, he himself died after a storm sank a boat he was sailing on. His body was cremated and his ashes interred in a cemetery in Rome. I'm sorry to say that story about his heart being plucked whole from his body as it burned is false, as is the idea that Mary Shelley carried his calcified heart around in her bag until she died. Percy Shelley has been hated as much as he's been loved, partly because of his political outspokenness. But the one thing that can't be argued is that he inspired countless artists of all types. Authors, poets, politicians, and musicians all list him as their influence, and that impact won't change with popular opinion. Ozymandias by Percy Bysshe Shelley I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand, half sunk, a shattered visage lies, whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command 
tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, stamped on these lifeless things, the hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal these words appear, My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. To close out this season, I had a chat with Robert Cocott, who is a dedicated poetry lover and also uses poetry in his work as a massage therapist. All right. So um, what kind of poetry do you like to read? Well, I guess the sort of poetry that I have always had near at hand, uh, and I tend to, you know, you, you sort of ga- I sort of gather poets over the years, and then they're always close close by, and little by little I, I branch out. Uh, it tends to be poetry that, that brings me quiet on the inside mm-hmm. um, and that sounds beautiful when read aloud. And by beautiful, I don't mean somehow ornate, but rather the sound itself conveys the feeling of the poem. Uh, and I tend to like somewhat, I tend to like somewhat simply written things, although things that are more lyric also I really love. But, uh, uh, you know, if I were to give you some names, it would be Walt Whitman, uh, who I've been reading, you know, for 30 years, and uh, Edna St. Vincent Millay, and uh, a lesser-known poet from uh, Wisconsin, actually, named Laureen Niedecker, who died maybe in the 1960s, um, sort of haikuistic. Uh, uh, Wendell Berry is a Russian poet from the early part of the 20th century, I love, named Osip Mandelstam. Uh, yeah. There's a mid-century French poet named Philippe Jacoté, who I love to read, both in the French and in the English. Although I have two different sets of translations of his, and one is just a dreadful rendering into English, <laughs> and the other, the other captures the beauty of the original. Um, uh, and then I also love E.E. E. Cummings and Neruda, although I would say that they put me less into quiet and more into... Uh, something a little more personal. Uh, yeah, I I, I personally adore E.E. E. Cummings. He's he's one yeah. of my favorite poets. Yeah, you know the one since feeling is first. Yes. Since feeling is first, who pays any attention to the syntax of things will never wholly kiss you. Uh, holy to be alive while spring in the world is in the. I can't think how the rest of it goes, but it's a wonderful, it a is. wonderful poem. Yeah. He's, it's such a visual medium, especially with the way Cummings writes. It's it's read and you have you see something, but then also on the page, the just the way he formats it is also so visual. I love it. Right. And it and formatting it the way he does, I think, helps make it more a stream of feeling that pours through the, the body as a you know, uh I mean, I think structure is important, you know, especially very um, specific structure that can that can serve a purpose, you know, in terms of like how it's actually formatted on a page. But there's something about his way of doing it that also kind of breaks apart uh, 
over stickiness in the mind and allows it to be just a, a flow of sensation. And I think that's I think that's actually really exciting. It is. So yeah. why why do you read poetry? Am I? It seems kind of like a broad question. I know, but um, right, I know right. everybody has their own reasons. Yeah. Well, I would say largely because in a world that I find excessively noisy and interested in celebrity and interested in aggressiveness, poetry is this way of becoming very still on the inside, When the kind of poetry that I like, um, something that stops the noise of the mind and the outside world and reminds us of some sort of silence that uh, falls between the things we're normally looking at. Um, so, you know, like my own poetry writing tends towards very haiku-like uh, writing. It's a very contemplative thing to do. Like I read, there's a term that comes out of the Western monastic tradition called Lectio Divina, which I guess re translated really means holy reading. And it's a hmm. form of contemplation, which is where you read very slowly, and you can do it quietly to yourself or out loud to receive the sound of it more fully. And it's a way of breaking down normal um, sort of busy ego consciousness and to submerge oneself in that contemplative mode. And I would say that a lot of my reading of poetry is like that. Um, it sounds really meditative. Exactly. And I think that is the element that is missing in our culture in general, is some sort of meditative quality, something slow, something quiet. And poetry is a reminder to do just those, to, to do those things. Um, you know, it, it focuses the mind sometimes on the most basic of beautiful images and allows you to stay floating with that image for a while. So that that then becomes the reference point of your thoughts rather than your own worries about yourself or your psyche or the world in a messier way, I guess I would say. Yeah. So you think everybody should read poetry to, to sort of achieve that, you know, calming effect so we're not always... Well, I don't know what everybody now. should do. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know what everybody should do. And... I'm not opposed to action and vitality and robust vigor in the world as well, you know, dancing wildly, all these kinds of things. But I think that we, all of us somehow or another, have to have something that allows us to clear our minds of the normal chatter of the ego yeah. and to be wildly present, I guess is how I would put it. So that you're right there with the mind stopped and kind of a quick intake of breath and a slow out movement of the breath and being present. That's how I would maybe put it. Um, I don't know if everyone needs to do poetry because, it does, you know, everyone has different paths. But I think that, uh, you know, even poetry as song, poetry as rhythm, uh, is something that really is missing in our culture. Um, 
But I think it's behind, you know, a lot of the that, that longing is behind a lot, you know, our attraction to music, to even rap, uh, things like that. That we're yeah. we're seeking rhythm. Our the rhythms around us are so disturbed, so broken up, uh, such a cacophony, such a mess that if we can find our way into something rhythmic, it stills us, it calms us, and it makes it possible for us to proceed in the world being able to somehow be of use and service. Maybe is another way of putting it. Yeah. So you're also, um, you, you're a massage therapist as well, and it sounds like from the way you've been talking, poetry um, kind of helps you not just with, you know, your your personal life, but also it seems like maybe this is kind of the thing that um, you would tell, you know, some of your, your regulars or whatever. Sure. And in fact, there are times when, uh, you know, that you have a certain relationship with certain clients and I've recited poetry at times to clients. But, um, you know, since you posed that question in the text you sent me, I, I don't think I'd ever really uh, sought to be succinct in understanding the link between my interest in massage, body work, and poetry. Uh, but I think really the thing is, when we go for massage, uh, we're looking for somebody else to kind of hold up the world for a while to allow us to let our ego and all its defenses go. And when you're getting massage and someone else is touching you systematically and with some degree of warmth and care, uh, we drop out of that excessive sense of isolation and uh, we meld with something larger than our ego. And in poetry, it's really kind of the same, right? Like this, this other rhythm, this other song, this other poem, which is rhythm and song, begins to hold up the world for us and if it's really doing its job, we realize we're in the midst of letting go in that way of our excessive attachment to our own ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, body work and poetry, you know, are two different facets of the same, you know, prism. Uh, you know, uh, that, that's how I would put it. I was trying to think about that this afternoon a little bit, and I... I think that's really it, that um, massage is a way of becoming quiet. Poetry is a way of becoming quiet. Massage is a way of detaching from having to hold the world up. Poetry is a way of detaching from having to hold the world up. Massage is a way of um, getting out of our own ego and feeling connected to others. Poetry, when rightly experienced, is also a way of getting out of our ego and uh, and feeling our connection to something larger than ourselves i think i think that's pretty profound actually (laughs) well i don't know if it's profound but it's my experience you know yeah it's i mean our our world is very much fast-paced and oftentimes we do forget to you know stop and be present in the moment and i think i think poetry really does help i know it helps me personally yeah Um, what do you who do you like reading i read um, besides E.E. E. Cummings, I suppose I'm a little cliche when it comes to poetry. I do read a lot of um, 
romantic era poets like Byron and Shelley. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Do you read them I, out loud? Do you read them out loud to yourself? I do a lot of times. That's see that then that's the thing, right? Because it's it's song. That's what it is. It's the sound. It's the song of it that that matters, you know. So, like I think yeah. when you read poetry like that, especially in your own head, it becomes too abstract. But if you can read it out loud, it, you you get something fuller and richer out of it. I'm all in favor of the romantic. I'm in favor of all poets, but um, yeah, you know, I think that I think that romantic poetry is great as well. And you know, I'm assuming I'm assuming you're younger than me, right? Like my own tastes have changed over the years, or the things that uh-huh. mean something to me have changed, or or how they mean to me have changed over the years. You know, so there's never anything wrong with any kind of poetry. It's like your tastes will change and develop over the years. I think that I think that's how that happens, right? Like it just does, what, regardless of your wish for it to do that or not. You know, like you suddenly realize. <laughs> oh, this poetry doesn't have the same feeling for me that it once did. Or like, oh, my God, this poetry that never had any feeling for me now suddenly has all this feeling for me. Uh, so, yeah, oh, I, I love um, – do you ever read any um, – oh, gosh, I can't think of his name. There was a beautiful movie made about him, um, Keats. Have I, you ever I read do it? like Keats, yeah. Yeah, do you know the movie I'm referring to? I, I, I think it was called, like, Something Star. Um, hmm. I don't, I don't, it, it's not ringing any bells, but. Well, you know, you could look it up, right? It's a, it, it yeah. was, a, you know, kind of a fictionalized biopic about him. Um, but it's beautiful. And for a poetry lover, you'll love the movie, you know. Yeah, well, yeah. and Keith, Keith had a really tragic life. Oh, I mean, yeah. he died really young. Yeah, I think he wasn't even 24. Five or so. I don't remember the exact Yeah, 20, thing, 25, I think. Yeah. 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 Oh, good for you. Yeah. Um, do you like any of the American poets? Any of the, you know, kind of this century, or yeah, I should say 20th century American poets? Um, I do own um, Allen Kinsberg's Complete Poetry. Oh, yeah. Now, there's a whole other thing. I, I got to hear him read once when I lived in San Francisco. Uh, oh really? It, oh yeah. It was during the lead up to uh the first Gulf War. So I guess that would have been what like 1990 or 91. Um wow. he was amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh yeah. He was, I mean, and he's someone who definitely believed in poetry as as song, you know, as rhythm. Um Definitely. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not always a fan of all of his poetry, but I liked who he was in poetry, I mm-hmm. guess. Some of his stuff is very, it's very personal. Right, um, right. And it, it kind of makes you vulnerable when you read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I think um, I think that's what a lot of poetry does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's part of the reason why I read it. I feel like it's just it's a way to, you know, get in touch with yourself from time to time, sort of a check in. Yeah. Um, and it's like having companions along that way. Exactly. Right. So it's not it's not just you kind of 
out there, you know, in your own tangle. It's like, oh, wait, here's someone who took that same tangle and transformed it into art, who transformed it into a way through the tangle by way of beauty. Um, yeah. You know, however you want to define beauty. Um, but, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Any any companions in our own sensitivity? I mean, if, you know, if you're drawn to reading poetry, right, it's going to mean that you're a sensitive person in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And as we have already touched on, right, the world is not so interested in taking care of the sensitive. It um, nope. you know, often militates against it. But um, when you find those companions, you realize, oh, wait a second. I am part of a huge, gorgeous, timeless tradition in the human condition of people who are willing to uh, find their quiet, the quiet cracks, the crevices in between the noise, and be alive with what's real, uh, with what the, the, the quiet that underlies it all, the noise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of one way I might look at that. Gosh, yeah, thinking of, you know, a few of the other poets I have, I um, I just recently bought um, a book of Christina Rossetti's poetry, um, mostly because I I absolutely love her poem, um, The Goblin Market. I don't think I know that one. Really? It's, it's what is absolutely it called again? fascinating. The Goblin Market? The Goblin Market. No, I don't. I don't know that off the top of my head. I mean, if I ever read it, I forgot it. You know, but um. yeah, it's it's a fairly long poem, um, uh-huh. and she's uh, Christina Rossetti was, you know, a little bit post Romantic era, so uh-huh. you know, still still that kind of same age, but it's. It's an absolutely amazing, fantastical poem, and I specifically love it um, because I have a pretty close relationship with my sister, and mm-hmm. the the whole theme of the poem, essentially, is, is sisterly love, and I read it for the first time, oh. gosh, about five years ago, uh-huh. and I absolutely fell in love. Oh, cool! So I'm I'm very excited yeah. to um, go through this book I have and um, read more of her stuff. Yeah, you know, I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a vague memory that Christina Rossetti is the person who wrote this poem that I loved when I was a little boy. We had this book of poems that my mother would read to us. It was called Poems to Read to the Very Very Young, and there was a poem that went, "Who has seen the wind? Neither." You nor I, but when the trees hang down their heads, the wind is passing by. Uh, I think I've got it. Who has seen the wind? Neither I nor you, but when the leaves hang trembling, the wind is passing through. It's something like that, and I think that's Christina Rossetti, and I rem- I've, yeah. I've always remembered how much I loved that poem as a little boy. And, um, and I, yeah. just, I just saw that one the other day, and I believe you're right. It is Christina Rosetti. Yeah, yeah. So I know, so I do know the name, but I've never really explored her as an adult. Maybe I should take this as my uh, impetus to re-explore her. Yeah, a lot of um, a lot of her stuff is in that sort of um, 
almost like rhymes for children, but it, it is really um, lyrical and rhythmic. So yeah, it might be yeah. something that you're you're very interested in. Yeah. And, you know, I think we should be careful when we uh, think about verse being for children and that there's more adult verse. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes the simplest of poems that a child that's meant for a child to be able to comprehend actually is every bit as deep and profound for adults. Yeah. Um, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I think I think that, you know, there are probably people in the academy, yes, people who, you know, <laughs> in literature departments who, yeah. uh, you know, want – only to study poetry, which is complicated and filled with, uh, you know, uh, filled with things that require, uh, you know, decrypting somehow. Um, yeah, sort and, of. You know, that's sort of the way. Like that, that, oh, go the, ahead. The false assumption that, like, the more the more complex it seems, the better it is. Right. 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 I've, you know, I remember in high school, right? I didn't. I grew up loving poetry. As a little kid, you know, because my mom would read it to us. And I loved the Dr. Seuss books, too, which, you know, we got one, I think like once every two weeks, a Dr. Seuss book would come in the mail. And, you know, that is the funnest kind of poetry. It makes you fall in love with language um, yeah. and its playful qualities. And, you know, the other book I was telling you about, and then there were other books, too. Um, but in high school, uh, I don't know if they still do this to students, but they, they, they run this scam kind of where you have to analyze the poem. You analyze yeah. poetry, which is basically like taking out a dagger and stabbing the poem over and over in the back. It felt to me, and I was so bored with it, and it made it it made it like a, a math puzzle. And even though I loved math, I didn't want my literature to be like math. I thought there's something wrong here. And then when I was about 18 and started singing a lot. Um, more than I had in high school even, um, and having to memorize a lot of poetry that had been set to music, you know, by composers, um, mm-hmm. I realized, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. I love poetry, you know, because I was, you know, singing pieces that were, you know, put, um, you know, uh, pieces that were putting lyrics uh, or, uh, you know, verse to music, you know, that had been written by German poets or, um, by T.S. Eliot even, this very modernist piece. And so I started investigating poetry on my own, and I quickly realized, like, oh, wait a second. There's nothing here to analyze. This is to be, like, you you know, this is just simply to be felt and loved and let it unfold itself to you as the years go on, as the days go on, as the months go on, you know. Um, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, this no, is they, sort they, of fun they... to have to think out loud about all this, which I I don't always do, you know, think out loud about poetry. So I, I appreciate mm-hmm. the questions. <laughs> no, I they definitely did that for me in high school as well. Um and I suspect they still do. Um Yeah. But yeah, there was there was even um a program, I don't know, I, I some kind of competition where they made you like memorize a poem. Uh-huh. And it had to be, you know, a certain length and you could only choose from a certain number of poems and it just felt very restrictive and a very unlike what I thought poetry should be like. 
Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I, you know, I'm not sure how to teach poetry, um, but I would think that teaching poetry and I, ha- I guess I have done a little bit because I did, I did seven years teaching English as a second language. And one of my things that I would do is um, actually uh, work with students and poetry, like especially by like Robert Frost, you know, which is like, you know, uses very straightforward language um, yeah. to help people like feel their way into the rhythms of our, of our spoken language. Um, and also, you know, to appreciate, you know, the beauty possible in language. Uh, I think that's probably unusual in that way. But I think that's it. Like, once you start asking people to analyze a poem and tell us what it really means, um, you've killed it. Uh, because I think you're supposed to, you're supposed to have your own reaction to how that, you know, the images that you fall in love with, like how it makes you feel. Right. Yeah, because every um, poem means something different to everybody. Right. But they would treat it like, you know, oh, here's like a, you know, uh, an equation out of, uh, you know, like a chemistry textbook or something like, you know, please tell, tell us what this poem means. What do you mean? Tell us what it means. Like there's a right answer. Like that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking about Shelley, uh, for this uh-huh. episode. Um, have you uh-huh. ever read any Shelley or do you have any favorite poems by him? I have read Shelley. I had a I had a little period in my twenties, mid twenties, where I um, uh, when I was still living in San Francisco, and I, uh, I I remember buying a paperback edition of you know sort of you know uh, selected verse of his, mm-hmm. um, and I found at the time that while I liked certain uh, certain of it, I, there, I I couldn't get into it as a whole. Um, and I found that I, I, you know, in my 20s, I loved the story of Shelley, right, um, more yeah. than I loved loved his poems, um, which I think, you know, you know, I think when you're in your 20s, you're much more given to a romantic um, sense of the world. Um, yeah, definitely. And what I found for me is that that was quickly giving way to, to a, a much more kind of um, meditative feeling of myself in the world um, because I was getting very interested in Buddhism and then there was something too that I found myself falling away from verse that felt too florid to me Um, Yeah. but I always am of the opinion that it's worth going back and maybe I should take this as my little cue to go back and and read some Shelley again Um, you know because I think you know, what I have found is the older I get, the more there is there to be revealed to me that I just couldn't find, didn't have the, didn't have the internal tools to find. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why people still read Shelley, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so I can't think of any off the top of my head that I remember. Um, but uh, he, I mean... Uh, like you said, there is definitely still a reason people read him. Um, I think part of that reason is probably because, you know, some of what he said in his poetry really does still, um, you know, apply to right. what's going on today. I know I personally like um, a lot of his sonnets. Um, uh huh. Uh huh. They're 
they deal a lot with, um, you know, like metaphors and things like that about, um, mm-hmm. you know, life and destiny and things like that. Yeah. And as someone yeah. who's, you know, still trying to work out in the grand scheme of things where I fit. <laughs> right. <laughs> you might find that that's a lifelong, you might find that it's a lifelong venture that, you know. Oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah, but, but you get comfortable with that being your destiny is to be one who's searching out the meaning of your life and its destiny, you know. Um, but I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for you to live your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in general, do you love the sonnet form? Because I do love sonnets. I love Edna St. Vincent Millay's sonnets. Have you read her at all? I haven't, but she's on my list. Yeah, you might, you know, she's got famous lines. Um, and I, and I think that, you know, there's something about her that is something of a romantic, um, definitely, but in a very, you know, 20th century voice. And, uh, but she very much, you know, believed in, in, you know, the old forms as well, you know, the sonnets, especially. She wrote a lot of sonnets and, uh, I don't know. She's very clever, and some of them have great feeling. Um, yeah, so I would I would recommend you know because I I discovered her at the same time I was trying to read some Shelley back in my twenties, and uh, and for some reason I felt a greater affinity to her, and I don't know why. Um, doesn't really matter, I suppose, but um, I would recommend her to you. All right, I'll I'll bump her to the top of my list. I've got. Um... <laughs> continually, you know, wanting to find new stuff to read. Yeah. She's kind of out of, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? She's out of fashion um, yeah. right now. And I feel like it's it's really hard going finding any of her things in anthologies, uh, unless it's just, a you know, one or two things here and there. Um, but, you know, she was the toast of the town for a long period of time. And um, uh, and there's something there, you know, like I'm assuming that also, you know, loving poetry means loving language. And she yeah. was clearly very good with language. And uh, so, you know, you might not feel an affinity. You might not stumble upon any, you know, poems that you really like. Like I've had a lifelong problem with Yeats, you know, every <laughs> once in a while. I, and I have one Yeats poem memorized um, called The Song of Wandering Angus. But I just can't fall in love with Yeats. And I totally trust that there's something there to be fallen in love with. Um, but that's just where I'm at. You know, maybe one day when I'm 90, it'll make more sense <laughs> to me. You know, uh, but right now not. And, you know, you might find that with Edna St. Vincent Millay. You might be like, oh, why did he recommend this? Or you might go, wait a second. Well, yeah, here's a I get it. You know, I mean, it's a very different thing from E.E. E. Cummings, for instance. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it, I don't know, it might be worth your time, since you love poetry, to give her a look and see what you think. Well, and if, if it's not something now, it might be something in the next, you know, 10 or 15 years. Right, yeah. I, you know, I have piles of books, right? And they, they like, sit around and, like, I mean to get around to them. And, you know, eventually I do. I was like, wait a second, you know, maybe it's time to go pull that volume of, you know, X, Y, or Z off the shelf and see if I like it yet or see if I find something in there that I'm loving. Um, yeah. Who, you know, who knows? Like, you just 
keep following your nose, right? And it leads mm-hmm. you where it leads you. And that's the crucial thing. All right, well, that about wraps it up. Well, you know, thanks for, you know, um, talking to me. It's been, it's been kind of fun. Thanks for tuning in to Life Distilled. If you want to keep the vibe going, check out our social media on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Poetry Distilled. You can vote in polls, share some of your favorite poems, and see what new books we add to our library. I'm Jane, and once again, thanks for listening, keep your ear out for season two, and happy reading.